boys are in the studio. Pete's on the verge of utter collapse. I have no idea what's going on with him. Every day he looks more and more sick. Every day his takes get worse. I don't know if it's like a degenerative disease. You know, you're starting to lose it. But yeah, like something's going on with you. You see, when do you see the doctor, Petey? I'm seeing the doctor on October 31st. Okay. Um, Halloween. Not good. Yeah. Could be a bad, uh, <laughs> yeah. bad day to go. Not good. Not good. Why'd you sewer me yesterday? Sewer. What'd I do to you? What's that mean? What does it mean to sewer? Well, sewer you yesterday. What happened yesterday? Yeah. You made the clip. Do you trust Dubas? I had all the haters. <laughs> I had a lot of hate. The mentions yesterday. Pete just throws up, uh, doesn't check with me on the tweet for yesterday's show. I thought I had like a pretty decent measured thought on the difficulties of not having a contract extension for your GM. And it turned into, look at JD, this yeah. idiot. Actually, it turned into, once again, the Leafs culture war that Ben Ennis doesn't think exists, that Ben Ennis ostriches and has no idea, puts his head in the sand, doesn't think there's any clue. You, you radioed me. Oh, maybe JD. You know, I just, uh, you know, Sean Dursey... Carl Grundstrom in that trade for Jake Muzzin at the time. Jake Muzzin had to had to be acquired, you know. And uh, agree, it was something that was mentioned in the uh, clip. I thought it was a fair uh, caption for the clip. It was a fair caption. Do you trust Kyle Dubas, you know. Mm, Pete, Peter, Peter, Peter. Um, it's okay. This is a new form of passive aggressiveness that I have discovered. Is that the social media guys can come after their host, their the show father. Well, at least we're keeping the camera angle. Yeah, at the uh, preferred camera angle. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. I need you to stop with the propaganda that I have a bald spot. Like, I'll <laughs> let anybody, like, I'll let anybody basically, you know how, like, monkeys pick lice out of each other's hair? Like, I'll let anybody go through with a fine-tooth comb. I'll let anybody who wants to try, try and find a bald spot on me. You will not find it. It's more a side angle that I can't stand. It's just, like, big nose. You get a side <laughs> angle of the big nose, and it's just like, whoa, it's not that big, is it? And you're like, it is. It is that big. You can't even believe it. No, I just, yesterday, the whole point of this was to say that it's difficult to tell a general manager who is not going to be potentially making picks to trade away picks. This is the conundrum that the Leafs find themselves in. The Muzzin trade is fine. I don't think that it was a particularly, I think it was just a both teams do the trade again. That's what that is. Both teams do the trade. Leafs, probably if they had their way, wouldn't redo the Muzzin extension. But they probably do the business the same. It's interesting to think about, Dubas really did want Lilligren in the deal instead of Dursey. We'll see how that ends up playing out in terms of how that trade goes. But Because that, that'll be like the long-term ripple effect. But I don't think that the point was anything to do with the price they paid for Muzzin. People just end up getting lost. And again, this is just basically your Toronto Maple Leafs echo chamber, Twitter, whatever the hell it is, where people just want to, it's it's the flight of the Concord. Sometimes I think you hear what you want to hear. Like that's all that is. Because all we're talking about right now is how do you navigate that situation? How much power are the Leafs going to give Dubas this season because you're, it's, it's true. Like, he has the job. They didn't fire him. But it's just weird to say to someone, hey, prove it. How do you prove it? Is it through the core? Like, did he already basically use up his bullet by not making drastic changes in the offseason? And that was it? And then in season, he's got to clear stuff? Once you start to have to clear things at any place of work, 
Usually it's with people that are less qualified to make the decision than you are. Straight up. Like, when it comes to being creative, which being a general manager is, you know more than the person above you when it comes to your product, which is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, you think that the layer above Brandon Shanahan knows more about hockey than Brandon Shanahan? No. You start to go up, you start to get less. So, I do think that it's going to be a big point of curiosity as to how they use that cap space. And, yeah, whether or not it's going to be with a massive move, like a Chikrin, or whether they're going to try to do something smaller, like they've also done in the past, which is maybe get a little bit more depth, try to go after the Ilya Labushkin types. What was also interesting with the Leafs yesterday is Kerfoot goes up at practice. He hits the top line. Bunting goes down. And I think that this is a stroke of genius. Michael Bunting, you know, works on the top line. You know it. I, I'm a little curious that Kerfoot moved up to the wing when he does represent some of the team's center depth. And I'd rather see him play down the middle on the third line. I still believe that's how you get the most value out of the guy. Playing him up the lineup is actually kind of similar to the bunting problem. You know what you have with Kerfoot. You know what you have on the top line with bunting. But bunting is in a contract year. Bunting is in a contract year. And there have been some discussions that the guy wants to be here long term. And if you're going to give Michael Bunting a long-term contract extension and it's not going to be for the cheap cheap, it's not going to be for a massive deal, a huge haircut, like the deal that he took with the Leafs for the first two years, you got to find out who he is as a player outside of the best two guys on the team. Period. So put him down the lineup. Let's see how he plays with other players. Can he drive a line? And if I'm Bunting, I'm welcoming this challenge, right? Because if he can do this, then that's going to be great for him. Guess who did? Zach Hyman. Guess who got paid? Zach Hyman. Guess who deserved to get paid? Zach Hyman. Didn't matter where you put him in the lineup. That guy could drive play. That guy could make an impact. I'm not sure the same is true for bunting. It, it's, not a, it's not a nothing when a guy can play with good players, right? So there's, clear, there's clearly value to bunting. I don't think that it's just a situation where you could take any bum and just slide him into that lineup, and he scores 60 points and gets into the Calder conversation, even though it's like, what, he's a 26-year-old Calder candidate? You know, he's older than Pete. And so, yeah, it was always a little strange when we were talking about him like he was just any average rookie. But if you're going to pay the guy, and you're going to go long-term, or you're going to invest any kind of serious capital in someone over the next couple of years before the salary cap goes up in a meaningful way, if you're going to tie up money, for what will amount to be the the final potential season of Nylander and Matthews, then you got to be sure that a guy is more than just someone who can play off of those two. Because I think that that's replaceable. I think that you'll always be able to go to free agency and find a guy who is willing to take a bridge deal to play with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Like, you don't think that there, are pe- that there are players out there? First of all, people really truly believe, and I was asking Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne about this the other day when I was on their show, that if you come to Toronto and you show value, for whatever reason, other teams are more interested in you. I can't believe it's true because I just think that's so incredibly dumb that other professional hockey minds would be in some way influenced by what sweater a guy wears and the amount of press clippings he gets. It feels kind of lazy to me personally, if that's your job, if you're a general manager, but enough people tell me it's a thing. 
enough people have said over and over and over again, it is a thing. If you do well in Toronto, you get more acclaim around the league and you are more likely to get paid somewhere else, noticed by someone else. There will be a, a market now for Michael Bunting if he decides to go into free agency. But if you're the Leafs, you have to do your due diligence. You have to have him down the lineup. You have to find some time. And honestly, that line's not going right now anyways. It was the, one of the best lines in hockey last season. It hasn't been. They're getting shots. I don't, I don't think any real Leafs analyst or fan is all that concerned about what's going on with them right now, that they aren't scoring. People think it'll come. Leafs are something stupid, like 24th and goals four right now, right? That's not where they're going to end up this season. That's not the team that they are. There's a pretty significant track record of, hey, the top two lines during the regular season, they're going to score a ton of goals. The power play is a little bit more, I would say, concerning. There's probably a little bit more debate in terms of what can happen there because they've had problem spots. And there's always going to be a discussion as to whether Morgan Riley should be power play one. And I do have some questions as to whether Sandine eventually takes a spot or takes a look there on power play one. But either way, bunting being down the lineup is good. And I think if we're saying regular season stuff doesn't really matter, then continue to experiment with this. See what you have. Keep them down there. Let them find chemistry. Keep rolling out the bottom six and changing the bottom six. Leafs are probably going to make a trade at some point this season to address that group anyways, right? Everyone's talking about the Muzzin thing right now, going, hey, how are they going to replace him on the blue line? And like everyone, myself included. But at some point, it feels very likely that they are going to try to add someone of impact to that bottom six because there are some pretty big question marks there. Obviously, the fourth line doesn't appear to have too much like, does anyone have any strong feelings so far about Zach Aston Reese play or Kubel's play? Does anyone feel like they need to be there? It, it feels like Camp is the only guy where you go, okay, yeah, you're putting him down in pen. Yarn Kroc too. But again, Yarn Kroc, I could see moving up throughout the lineup as well. He's one of those guys where maybe you take a shot a couple of nights, see what he looks like on one of those top two lines. Injuries are going to happen. Those guys are going to move around. Bottom six is going to fluctuate. They're going to add somebody this year. I want to see Michael Bunting as a part of that bottom six because I want him to prove that he is actually better than that, that he is more valuable than that. And, and honestly, I don't think he has done that yet by being the cookie eater on the top line. As good as he has played, as good as he has played, and as much credit as he has deserved, he needs to show more if he's going to be a part of this team long, long-term future at, at a real dollar rate and especially given real term. Uh, Raptor Sixers last night, really fun game. Very fun. Just an ass kicking wire to wire. Basically just Philly showed up. Toronto said, we're not, we're not going to let you in this ball game. We're going to kick your ass up and down the entire night. Top five guys were pretty brilliant. Siakam's playmaking was through the roof. I thought OG was beautiful off the ball. Um, I just really enjoyed watching OG when he doesn't have the basketball in his hands and just the way that he picks up on where he's supposed to go. And Scotty Barnes was doing some of that similar stuff too. Comes back, no rust, not like he should really. Didn't miss a significant amount of time, but he came back and he looked like his normal self. And you just, that was just one of those Raptors formula nights where if a team is not going to bring their A game, especially during a regular season, Raps are just going to beat you. Raps are just going to have too much hustle. They're going to have too much energy. They've got enough good players that when they start knocking down shots like they did with Gary Trent Jr., they just, they're going to always look scary. 
I still wonder about the rim pressure, but Siakam is just doing a great job of that. But the biggest thing from that game for me wasn't even about the Raptors. It was about Joel Embiid. He looks out of shape again. And anybody that was paying close attention in that fourth quarter should have realized that he looked like uh, the Tim Robinson sketch where he puts on too much makeup. He puts on the, the costume of the old man and he's got the, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be around anymore. That's what I was feeling watching him is he was just dragging in that fourth quarter. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he played too many minutes. Maybe the Raptors strategy of forcing him to just like be the entire focal point of the offense for the entire night really worked and had an effect, but he's got to be looking around at that Sixers team going, wait, what are we like? What, what is this exactly? We've got Tobias Harris back again. We've got Tyrese Maxey. Who's awesome. We've got James Harden who any given night might check out who's, whole off season was, Hey, did you guys know that I should diet and get in shape? Yeah. James, like you're a pro athlete and you're over 30. Seems like that should be a priority for you, but I just don't, I could see Joel Embiid being the next star that is pissed off about a situation. Their bench is bad. Again, they've got the doc rivers thing hanging over this. And at the end of docs runs, it can get pretty ugly. I just, I don't see the Sixers team. They got a ton of hype in the preseason. A lot of people liked them as like a long shot title winner. I kind of squinted my eyes and thought maybe that was going to be the case too. Everybody liked the Melton trade. Watching them play the Raptors, I don't, I don't see two teams that are very far apart. And yeah, come playoff time, maybe crunch time, the Sixers care level goes up. Maybe the talent, the ability to score, it just puts them over the top of a Raptors team. We'll see where the two of them are at the end of the year. But yeah, that's just that's not a team that looks like a title contender to me. Right now, the East still continues to look like a two-team race between Milwaukee and Boston, and everybody else that entered the season with a little bit of buzz just kind of looks mediocre. Anyway, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. You got to be 19 plus. You got to live in Ontario, and you got to play responsibly. Uh, Thursday night prop time. Again, a huge guest coming up in a couple of minutes. Steve Smith, senior, not junior. It's senior. He's coming on. Uh, before your guys' time, obviously, uh, do you guys know who Steve Smith Sr. is? This is quiz time? Yes, we do. Yeah, you do? You do? You know who yep. Steve Smith Sr. is? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't nod. It's an audio medium, Peter. Oh, right, right. We're on yeah. the radio. Yeah. Say yes. Yes, yes I do, J.D. I <laughs> yeah. do know Steve know? Smith Sr. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited for this, man. Honestly, this is a great get by the guys. Uh, we've been working on Steve Smith for a while. Again, truly one of my favorite guys. Like, I love when you bring it the way Steve Smith did, when you play as physical at a position that doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't always make people think about that. And man, like some of the most iconic trash talk, honestly, uh, he's got some lines. I was thinking about him and reading some yesterday that are just all time classics. Ice up, son. I think I said that a million times throughout my life. I think I've said, I think that literally every basketball run I've ever been to where I've played well and gotten into trash talk, if I've scored a big bucket on someone, I've yelled, ice up, son. <laughs> that is, that's an all-time line. Anyway, so I'm a big Steve Smith guy. He's coming up. Uh, his former team, the Ravens, visiting the Bucks. We went over the side of the line that everybody likes yesterday. Um, it was only Bafo. Bafo stayed on the island of the Buccaneers. It's prop parlay time. Uh, Pete, are you going to try to screw with our parlay with a, a huge plus money bet? I am indeed, yeah, JD. Yeah, of course you yeah, are. And that is the plan for tonight. Cool. Pete's Obviously, off the parlay. we were watching uh, Buccaneers-Panthers last yeah. week. Mike Evans with that big drop. Um, I don't think that happens uh, tonight. In fact, 
I think Mike Evans scores two TDs at plus 750 on DraftKings. Two TD night for Mike Evans. Um, I think he is uh, Brady's security blanket these mm. days. This is the longest stretch he's gone without a TD since Brady joined the Bucks, And uh, he has eight two TD games since Brady joined the Bucks as well. So, uh, Mr. Reliable, Mike Evans, sh- uh, what, what do they call it? Primetime? Primetime football. It's going to be a big night for the wide receiver. What do they call it? Like, as in primetime games? <laughs> well, I almost forgot what the yeah. word was. Primetime. <laughs> I, I was confused as to whether or not, like, this was a nickname for I Mike Evans. I thought Evans you were referring to like a, Yeah, I was like, Mike Evans has a primetime nickname? I was not aware of this. <laughs> no, 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 just like, just no, yeah, they're called yeah. primetime games. That's good. What's, what do you got, Joe Bob? Mr. Primetime Reliable. Yeah. Uh, I'm going not a crazy pick. That reminds me of my Josh Allen pick in week one. Uh, two TDs, right? Up, two rushing TDs. First yeah. time we did this show. Anyway, um, I'm going K. Dotton, rookie tight end of Washington. Tampa Bay. Cameron Brait, their starting tight end, is already out with a neck injury. Russell Gage is already out. Julio Jones is going to be limited, even if he does play tonight. He's still questionable. And in the last four weeks, Auden is averaging almost 40 receiving yards a game. And his prop is at over 31 and a half. So I'm hammering that because Brady's going to be looking for him. I mean, K-Dot, he also wears number 88, which is the number I wear in men's league hockey. So shout out to number 88. But yeah, Gage out, Brait out. I think Kate Otten's going to be a, a bigger option for Tom Brady, and he he, get, he gets long plays too. He's not like a a ten reception night kind of guy. It's like they hit him twenty thirty yards downfield, mm-hmm. uh, and he's pretty reliable there. So I'm going Kate Otten over thirty one and a half receiving yards, mm-hmm. minus one fifteen on DraftKings. So ideally, it would be Kate Otten getting all the yardage, and then Brady passing to Evans for two exactly. TDs. Exactly. You know, okay. Exactly. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Pete and I are on the same. We're trying to link up here. I just don't know why it has to be two TDs. Like, I just don't understand (laughs) why this man who is dead last in the picks in our group needs to be going with the second touchdown. Like, you're literally, they always say, hey, don't try to make it all up at once, and you're that guy who just can't help himself. 750, you said? Plus 750. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, guess what? That's a separate thing. It's not going in the prop parlay. Like, it's not (laughs) happening. Baffle, what do you got? Yeah, that's greedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like, listen, if it hits, awesome. Good for Pete. But you can just play that on its own. Like, this is a prop parlay, Pete. Like, this is everybody in the squad is bringing together a bet. You're all supposed to pick one. And how this works is usually is the guy who misses the bet ends up getting, like, roasted. If you all hit, it's always great. If everybody misses, it's basically, like... Uh, silence. Nobody <laughs> speaks on it again. It's a great secret that we all carry together. Um, that's how it works. But you're just like, this is a cheater's way out where you go, if I win, I try to make up all the credit because I've got another big plus 750 bet. But if you miss, it's kind of like, well, I took a shot. It's not right. It's not right what you do. I'm selfish. Yeah. I, I think yeah. if, one, if, one, person, if I, one person loses the parlay, they should buy Tim's for everybody. If one person blows it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm out of the parlay this week, so <laughs> no, you're I'll be in. playing this by myself. Pete. Yeah, Pete's <laughs> in. Yeah, I was like, yeah, Pete, you're gonna, oh, wait, now you don't feel confident? What do you got, Buffalo? Well, I mean, I, I had a plus money uh, choice here, too. Plus and, is fine. But, I mean, I two TDs, that was a little savage. But <laughs> Two. Okay, so, honestly. Fox have three points last week. Pete's like, two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, then you're not going to like these props uh, I'm about to list here. Uh, Honestly, Chris Godwin, I feel like is just the most reliable receiver in that offense. He's kind of just the chain mover there. Um, he doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. I think if I'm on the side of the Bucks and I think that they can get right, I have to take him anytime TD plus 145 on DraftKings. But for the parlay, I think this actually is a good bet. Rashad White, plus 125 to get over two and a half receptions. I think on a short week, 
They maybe, uh, you know, use him a bit more, uh, be more in tandem with Fournette. He's already getting some more run, and I could just see him being more involved with the short week this week. You and uh, Jobo are testing me because, like, this is hard for me. And his hit last week, and I think yours, did yours hit last week, Buff? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to trust you better, but my philosophy with props is way more in line with Pete where you go, pick the studs who get targets and carries. You know, pick the reliable people because to me, it's always so frustrating when you're sitting on like that one reception for a guy like that or for the guys like the two of you picked and you go, if they drop a ball, right? They drop one ball. You go, that was probably it. (laughs) That was, that was my hope. Those are my hopes and dreams. And there's just game scripts that take them out of it, right? If you're protecting a lead, you're probably not throwing down the field to the backup, triple backup tight end. You know, you're not checking it down to the backup running back unless you're behind in a game. So it's good for the game script if you think the Bucs are going to be behind. But Bafo likes the Bucs to win. I don't know. I'm trying to do the math here. I got like the Zach Galifianakis meme going where it's just all the math in front of my face. <laughs> um, I like studs. And so I like three things tonight. And they're all Ravens related. That's right. I got three Ravens pops. tripling up on it. That's right. I'm tripling down. I like Rashad Bateman over 47 and a half receiving yards. I like Gus Bus. Gus Edwards. He's mm-hmm. back. Two touchdowns mm-hmm. in his debut against the Brownies. Guess what? That team needs a good running back. And maybe Kenyon Drake still gets too many snaps. And maybe I'm playing it where I go, hey, uh, violating your zone rule on who should be getting the rock, who should be getting the touts. Is he, are we sure what his snap count is going to be? Are we sure on a short week a guy coming off of an injury is going to look good? He looked fresh last week. Gus Bus looked mm-hmm. big. He looked strong. And I just like how they have Lamar Jackson who can stretch a defense and scare you. And a guy like Gus Edwards, whenever he's been healthy, he just runs well between the tackles. I just like what he brings that offense. His rushing totals only at 40, 44 and a half. I like that one over. And I also like Lamar's rushing total over 60 and a half. Lamar's been breaking runs this year. Lamar looks good. Lamar looks fresh. Lamar is not afraid. He is making plays with his legs. And it's just, again, what do I think is the most reliable? It's the Lamar prop. So that's the one I'll throw in the parlay because I just think Lamar Jackson knows he can run and he knows that he can run against this team that has not generated the pass rush that it has in years past. I just like Lamar in this game. I think that he's going to be making he's going to make in some waves. So that's your prop parlay for today. Uh, that was time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 19 plus. Must be betting in Ontario. Must be betting responsibly. Download the DraftKings app now. Uh, quick break, and we'll come back. We'll talk to man hosting the most interesting jobs in the NFL. One of the most interesting players uh, to recently be in the NFL. Steve Smith Sr. That's next. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Pretty excited for our next guest. One of the great receivers to ever play. Especially like during my era watching football. One of the best trash talkers of all time, which you know I love. Come on. You think I do this and don't appreciate a man? Who can trash talk the way Steve Smith can? Three-time All-Pro, NFL Network analyst, and host of NFL's Most Interesting Jobs on NFL's YouTube page is Steve Smith Sr. What's up, man? How are we doing? Good morning. What's going on? Yeah, not too much, buddy. So, first of all, the show. The show is good. Like, uh, the most interesting job show is, is quality. Did you come up with that idea? Well, I know some people doubt it, but actually, yes, I did. 
Uh, I pitched the network uh, around this time last year. Uh, I pitched uh, my boss, Charlie Yuck, and great dude, always has listened to me. Um, and so he, he, he was like, let me think about it. You know, give me some other ideas, you think. And basically, uh, he came back and they gave me the green light. And we only had about six series just because, you know, people were kind of saying, ah, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he'll be okay. You know, we started recording him, started getting him on camera, got him down, and all of a sudden, you know, we got teams calling us talking about, hey, we got a job for you can do for you to do next year. So we're on season two and kind of hitting it full force next year because uh, people see it's a legitimate uh, I, I say franchise, the legitimate franchise is kind of display what people are doing behind the camera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? Like a couple of years happened, a couple of years ago, um, when I first started doing TV, cameraman, camerawoman, you know, I'm looking to the camera talking, but do I know the person behind that camera? You know, do I know their life? Other than them hitting that red button, making me look good and making sure that the things are off camera, stay off camera, the things are on camera, stay on camera. Mm-hmm. Started asking them and, and start having conversation. And I just started realizing, man, the people behind the camera, the people who are working in the concession stands, the people who are making sandwiches for players, coaches, the people who are parking attendants, the people who do the maintenance, all of those people, they have names, they have families, and how many people actually ask them what's going on in their world? And man, by taking that, and, and the whole reason why is my mom and dad, they're great workers, hard workers, still work to this day. And those workers that I'm talking to, those people that help the NFL go, those are my family members. They haven't caught, they can't catch passes, they can't do anything. So for me, I look at it like, having a conversation about their life the same way people are interested about, well, some people that are interested about my life. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's really introspective and it is like, it is fun watching the show because you clearly are interested in what people are doing, right? Like it isn't just like, it's a show it's on YouTube, but you are into it. And you also have like, you're a confident guy. All right. You're a confident guy. So when people are showing you how to do stuff, you want to try it. Like, you know, you want to be involved in it. You want to be doing it. And so that dynamic works, man. That's a good dynamic. Well, here's the thing. And that's just how I got into TV. Like I'm, I'm calling in, I'm on your radio station, right? Man, I, I interned, bro. I interned, uh, I tried to intern at FedEx and UPS. I did Stanley for two years. I interned at a radio station. And I just started seeing, like, because of who I am, people disqualify me or they think, like, UPS told me, hmm, we can't hire an NFL football player that works in our city. You're taking away jobs. But I always knew I wasn't going to play football forever, and I wanted something to do, not for money, let me put that disclaimer. Yeah. I'm good. It's not about money. It's about, I'm 43 years old. So what do you want work. me to do? Sit at home and get fat? 
and, and play video games all day. Like I have to do something. You can't be delivering right? UPS packages to. though. Like that can't be because the, all the the trucks are going to be delayed because every house you show up to, people in the area are going to want to take pictures with you. Well, see, that's not true because you. I mean, do you know the name of your UPS driver? No, but if, if Steve Smith shows up, I'll know who Steve okay. Smith is. Not when you don't pay attention to the UPS driver. The dude in the brown, you ain't looking up for him when he delivers your package unless it's not there. Bro, are you, you wearing the folded up brim hat? Is the is the is the hat yeah. brim folded? Yeah, then I'll notice. I'll see you. <laughs> I'll notice. I, like you're that's you. Well, listen, oh. listen. You play. You played California Love, man. I know how to creep up on some houses back yeah. in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that was direct. That was obviously for you. Like, come on. You thought I was going to come in with something East Coast for you? You're out of your mind. Hey, I, uh, hey, I, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. It made me feel special. Okay, so the other thing, though, okay, because, so, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff, it, it is kind of admirable, man. Like, it is pretty cool that maybe this is what you do, is you take this out even beyond football. I love the football element of it because – you know, I think that one of the smartest brandings for football has always been like the football is family thing. And you always feel that from like a tailgate to going to a game and um, a community Absolutely. that plays yep. like all of it is just the way that it does connect even to the pro level, I think is a really cool thing to be a part of and see. But maybe you do end up taking the show where it's other jobs. It's just Steve Smith does other interesting jobs. But so the Giants one, I watched the Giants episode and that's the one about coaching and you were yeah. you were in the receiver room, you know, you're watching the offense, you're giving some technique tips, and I wondered, is that the future job for you? Like, is that something that you would ever no. want to do as coaching? No, eh? No. Coaching, man, I, I, I usually just am short-sighted and I say, look, too many hours for short pay, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, those coaches, are, those, those coaches are grinding themselves out. Yeah. But really, for me, I don't want to do coaching because – TV gives me, like TV gives me opportunity to be flexible, right? There's like hmm. assignments that we know where what's coming ahead. Coaching is every single day, right? And there are times because all of us have TV in us. There are times where in all season, because of what I do and how unique my job is, bro. There's some days you won't see me for like two months. And I'm just at the house, right? Um, right. This summer was one of the best summers I've had as a retired player because my son, who's uh, entering his senior year of high school, is playing basketball. Mm-hmm. But he's heck, he's hella athletic. Like he's so much more athletic than me. When I say freakish athletic, he is so much better than me athletically. Six foot one. <clears throat> right now he's training with my old trainer. I trained with him a little bit in the off season mm. to get him ready. And we trained like twice a week. Right. But it was just me and him. And he got to see like what dad was doing. Then there were other football guys there. So it was like Cordell Patterson was training at 8 a.m. 7 a.m. We hit the 9 a.m. And then after us, there was Gordon Hayward for the mm. Charlotte Hornets who was going on after him. And he just, he got to see, the professionalism, the the craftsmanship of trying to be an athlete. And he got to see it just wasn't the former player dad complaining or just blah, 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 right? It was like, this is real. Yeah. My, my son, 17 years old, walked in with 6, 37-inch vertical. No cap. Because he's training with me, and I'm going to push him. And he's training with my son, uh, with my trainer my former trainer, 
and his uh, the athleticism that he has is so much better than mine. He had his final workout yesterday. I was not there, so he's been doing a little bit. His final workout before season starts in 11 days. Mm-hmm. 50-foot box jump. 50 inch, I'm sorry, 50 inch box jump. Yeah. And I say 50 foot. And he's, you know, he's, he's yeah, on a different foot, I think he's 50, on the moon. Yeah, 50, <laughs> 50 inch box jump. Yeah. But the, the the point I'm trying to make is, man, I got to train with my son. I got three, I got four kids. Yeah, that's cool. Three boys. Mm-hmm. I train with my oldest a little bit. But I have the time to exclusively just pour into him. Get up in the morning, make him breakfast. And I'm not saying all this to brag. I'm saying this is, if I'm a head, if I'm a coach or offense coordinator at National Football League, man, I don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Right. I don't get that opportunity on a random Thursday, right in a in the middle of in the middle of air quotes training camp, to just go take my son to go train at nine, you know, nine o'clock, and then after our training we go refuel and teaching him how to get the right nutrition and the right protein shakes and how to refuel his body and then stretching and giving him a massage and working on his legs and just all of those things that football has awarded me the opportunity to be flexible. And I want to take that opportunity to reinvest back into my family because they've been waiting for this. And I think they deserve it. And so I just want to make sure that, yes, I can go to work. I can show them you don't just work it and sit on your butt after, but also like to help really nurse even in their later years mm-hmm. because they're going to need even more just the way the world is right now. Man, you, uh, what'd you put in? 16 years in the NFL? 16 years, yeah. yeah. 16 years, I, yeah. I think you, uh, that's, that's the whole thing, right? And you played hard in every single one of those games. And so, like, yeah, the idea yeah. that you get to use that flexibility in your life, I think that's pretty awesome, especially that you want to put a lot of that energy back into your kids. Like, that sounds great. Um, you're obviously a guy that just can't stay still, and you've got to be busy. And so no, you've no, got I to, cannot. Yeah, like, right now, right now, I'm 20, I'm, right now, I'm 20 minutes in. I'm on my 49th. Uh, stair. I'm on the stairmaster right now, yeah. getting it in. Oh, I'm a pacer on the phone too. I love to pace. Like you got to get those. You got to get the step counter going when you're on the telephone. Like that's a hundred percent. No, I'm on. The, I'm on. The, I'm on the stairmaster. Oh, I know, right but now. here's the thing: you can't tell from your your voice, and you can't tell from your breath, and that kind of makes me jealous. <laughs> like as if I was doing a telephone. If I was doing a I phone had, interview look, on a stairmaster, I'd be like, and then I would. Well, going. you know, COVID. I I got some I got some COVID weight I need to get off. It's all right. still lingering. Yeah, all right. it's still hanging on. All right, that's all right. Hey, listen, that's that's, that's basically all of us. Wait, that's this is how you be relatable. You go, you work in the in the kitchen at the NFL, and you go and you put on a little bit of COVID weight. Nothing wrong with that. So you are in that receivers room with the Giants, right? And I'm watching this episode, and you're around Dayball, and he looks comfortable around you. And this is just a guy who I'm I'm oh, watching. I'm going, yeah, he's that's he just seems cool and. Everything that's been going on with the Giants is like, yes, there's stuff that's happening on the field and Saquon being back to the guy that we expected him to be coming out of Penn State. Like, that's obviously massive for them. But how has that guy changed the culture so much in New York? Because it just feels like night and day, the the vibe around the Giants right now versus the vibe around them a year ago. Well, that's the very thing, night and day, right? Just because you're with a successful organization does not mean that you're going to be successful talking about Joe Judd and the prior regime. 
And I'm not going to get into what I heard and all that stuff because I'm trying really to be more positive and give a perspective that doesn't come across like I'm, you know, I'm killing everybody every time I get on, on, on the air. But Brian Dayball has been at 11 organizations. Yeah. Professionally, in college, and even high school. You learn some things by always desiring to be the guy. When you want to be the guy, you watch everybody and go, when I get to be the guy, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And I think Brian Dayball has realized all the times he's interviewed and wished and hoped for that opportunity, he's going, I'm not going to screw it up. I'm not going to allow him to get in the, in the, at the top of the mountain and then disregard everything I know that I didn't like the head guy doing when I was a offensive coordinator or I was a tight ends coach or quarterback coach. And he's just implementing that. And I think he's at a place in his life where he realizes, bro, if I don't do it right the first time, I don't know how many other opportunities I'm going to get. And he's well-liked. Mm-hmm. He's also hired some good coaches around him who have even more swag than him. Hey, Wink Martindale, defense coordinator, mm-hmm. that's my dog. Yeah. That guy gets it. He understands it. And he's been with organizations as well. He's seen how not to do it, what he doesn't want to do. And so he's a defensive coordinator waiting for his opportunities. Enough people who have been infected with the negativity of how to screw up organizations that they're doing the polar opposite, and then they have a good enough foundation that can help them get through how long they will stay on top, I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. when they get some more players, you got to imagine they're just going to get better and they're going to solidify themselves because right now the foundation for the, for the Giants is curing right now. Dude. But they still haven't even started to strip it down to the bones and start to restructure, remodel the way they really want to with a good cap and so and a, and a good free agency with some with some equity, some money in the bank to be able to buy and and woo some some better free agents uh, next year. Yeah, and now it's like it seems like more guys are going to want to play there. All of a sudden, you get to actually sell New York and you get to sell an actual culture, and you have a coach like that who you think is going to put you in a proper position to succeed. And yeah, you've mentioned like you got Wink Martindale there. Like you go, oh, wait, if I'm going to be here on the defense, I have somebody who knows exactly what they're doing. And even as I was watching the Dable thing, the thing that struck me, and even as you're talking about it right now, and again, this is like your show, the NFL's most interesting jobs on the NFL's YouTube page is like, you're, you're talking to him, right? And he's miscounting his jobs, but there is something too. And this is even like how it connects to your show when you work your way up, right? And you're not just handed something or you don't just kind of skip the line, which it doesn't seem like a guy like Dable has done. Like there is an added level of understanding I think that you can have within an organization. Like Brian Dable is going to understand what all the other coaches within his group do. He is going to be able to relate to so many more people. And I really think that that is such a good culture setter. And I think that, you know, again, your show was enlightening for that reason. I'm looking at it and going, this is part of what is happening here is this guy has connective tissue between everything that's happening in this, on this football team. And everybody knows it. Like everybody respects him for having it. And I, I just, I really enjoyed watching it. And speaking of wink, do you think uh, that's a little bit of what's going on with the Ravens this year is like, they're missing him. Like they haven't been able to protect leads and some of it's been turnovers and whatever. 
Like, you're a Ravens legend as well. Like, I know, you know, you don't hold 72 or whatever records on the Ravens like you do with Carolina, but you do have that Adam Jones stiff arm. And so, like, that puts you in alone. Um, what's up with the Ravens? Why can't they protect leads? I just think the defense, man, and, 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 you know, McDonald was there uh, as a linebacker's coach. I know him. I, I personally believe he needs to stay one more year at college to be able to get all out, get the wrinkles out. Because when I watch this team defensively, they are notoriously known for being smash mouth. And you can see a little bit, they're a little bit hesitant. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not confident. They're not blitzing. They're not covering with emphasis on know what they're doing. A lot of times there's a, there's a lot of mental errors. Um, yes, they're playing some good players too. That helps, but it's a lot of mental errors and, they have they've had zone coverage zone cover corner trying to play man and unfortunately they figured out they can't play man consistently and they've now switched to zone and so there's some growing pains. They haven't had the penetration and and the pressure uh the way they like to. And I'm not talking about pressure like yeah, pressure is pressure, but I'm talking about like kinda of like what the Kansas City Chiefs and Niners. Well if you have thirty six drop back passes and you've been hit, either sacked or knocked down 12 times, that's 33% of the time. Think about it. 33% of the time you're dropping back, somebody's in your face. That's going to make you make decisions differently. And we haven't been able to make guys make decisions decisions differently. Hmm. We've actually given them too much time to go through all of their reads and then start off. So it's, it's just a little bit of transitional issues that we normally see in new coaches, new defensive coordinators, we're not normally seeing that out of a, sustain, a, a, a stable team with a new coordinator with good players. So it's just been a little bit different for me, I think. But, you know, I'm just sitting here from the comfort of a stairmaster, so I'm not really necessarily sure, but I just know it looks different from what we expect uh, in years past. Yeah. Well, they're just an organization that turns out success after success after success. They've been able to hit on so many drafts. There is this car, there, there is a culture there, right? And it has been long established yeah. and it's been there. Like, yeah, there's a reason why, you know, what Harbaugh I think is actually still the longest, ten, like other than maybe Belichick, longest tenured coach. Um, yeah. He's been around since. Uh, is Belich- Belichick's first Harbaugh. And then I believe it's uh, Mike Tomlin yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like year over year, having that sustained voice, like Harbaugh being a guy that was there even when you were there. Um, yeah, yep. I, I expect more from the Ravens. Like, I thought that they were going to be a Super Bowl contender this year. Lamar's had his moments. But do you think they're that? Because it just really feels like there's the, there's the Bills at the top, there's the Chiefs. Then there's like a little bit more of a question mark with the Eagles. But still, like, they deserve the respect based on what they've shown this year. But do you think, yep. like, that tiered down – like a team that could upset any one of those guys, that includes the Ravens. I believe they can just because they have the they they got the LJ factor, Lamar Jackson factor, mm-hmm. what he's able to do. Right, looking at statistically, I'm like, okay, how's he throwing? You know, where's he throwing outside the number? And 51 percent of his throws are between the numbers and the hatch. Where you thought and you think the way he's hitting Mark Andrews that well. He likes to throw between the hats. He's playing well. He's actually in the 60s, close to the 70s, in completion percentage in the pocket, 
And on the run, he's only 38%, you know, 2% below 40, which you normally would think how much he's scampering around. That'll be the reverse. But he's showing his pocket, his pocket presence, his ability to process and, and deliver the ball accurately. No quarterback is 100%. No quarterback every single throw. But Lamar has shown that he could be, he, he should be in that tier one quarterback mm-hmm. status the same way we give Justin Herbert the benefit of doubt winning games either. Um, I, I just want to see a couple of those turnovers late in the game short up. Through the one the other day against the Giants, actually, it was in the Giants game where it's, you know, like a jump ball to the fullback. And I'm like, God, those are the ones yeah. that, like, you can't have. Um, those are the ones where it just feels like almost there's sometimes too much on his shoulders. Uh, but yeah, like there could not be yeah. more um, opposite athletes in this game tonight. Like it's Tom Brady and Lamar. Like <laughs> it's just like one guy. I love how you transition that. Well, hey, it just you it, know what? Yeah, it's, JD, I'm gonna still I'm gonna still like tonight on television. I will it. not give you credit. Yeah, okay? don't don't do it. It's fine. I'll, I'll know. You know, it'll just be one of those things. Like yeah. I'll know. I'll just be like Rocky when he watches things I'm in the basement. Here, when I take it, yeah, when I take it, I <laughs> wink in the camera so you know that I took it without. Sounds good, man. So, but yeah, do you think Brady's done? Man, I'm such a mistake. I I so love football with like old, old school players. Yeah. Of the history of football, right? That I never man out. And Brady, everybody's putting putting this on Brady. Man, you got to think about it. Last year, 19. Secondary rotations, okay? This year, they're not at 19, but they look like they're down there. Don't be uh, trending in that direction. Defense can't stop a nosebleed, right? Even if you cauterize their nose. Mm -hmm. They're just different. Offensive line was not the offensive line that they thought they were going to walk into. It's It's a piece together offensive line and just sustained another injury. So... How is that Brady's fault? Right? I, yeah. They're not running the ball. Almost 70% run a pass first, but they have a running back that they don't use. So basically, here's a good analogy. We're going to go to this restaurant. We're going to say that the food's terrible. But all we did was order a drink. And then we walk out and say, ah, we got to abandon this place. It's not very good. Man, they run the ball like two or three times, and then all of a sudden, they won't run the ball again for 17 plays later. Mm-hmm. They're not even, they're not patient enough to stick with the run. And I just don't get. It. Yeah, you're right. Like, listen, you see him still make the throws, right? He can still do it. Um, and he has, like, he can still make those throws when he has time in the pocket. It's just like the way the league seems to be going is, and I was talking to a guy named Ben Solak yesterday. Like he's a huge analytics guy about just like how, much the game is changing for quarterbacks and their escapability and just like how we look at um, guys who can just get away and avoid those sacks and just Brady can't do it. And that offensive line isn't the same. And now it just doesn't feel like the play calling is as good. It does. Maybe they miss Arians a little bit. You're right. The defense has been terrible. They can't run the ball Fournette looks like he just, you know, is running in mud now. Um, yeah. They can't block. They can't do too much. So then it brings up kind of this question. Then if Brady is all right, and he's not the problem necessarily, even though, okay, we understand like there are some physical limitations. Do you think that after this year, cause it seems like he tried to get out of Tampa Bay. Like it seems like Tom Brady, actually football genius that he is already knew 
that this was going to be the situation in Tampa. That's why he fake retired and was like, no, I'm done. Goodbye. It went off in the sunset. And then the Bucs were like, no, no, no. We're not letting you out of this contract. You can't go to Miami. You can't go to San Francisco. You think after this year, he tries to run it back, does one more year somewhere else where he views the team as a better one? I don't know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, it's like uh, if you got it, buy the best car that you want. Mm-hmm. Why not? You know, I know the fans don't like it, but at the end of the day, some of these fans going to turn on you like you're cutting the onion anyway. So why does it matter? <laughs> I mean, especially at, at the later part of his career, mm-hmm. he's just trying to win. He's not, he's not interested in making friends and making sure the fan base is supporting. My man trying to win. And so that's different. But the ultimate thing, though, everybody's talking about putting on Bruce Arians or mm-hmm. Ty Bowles. At the end of the day, this team lacks depth because they were unprepared for all the all the injuries they sustained with starters. Hmm. No team is going to have a potential starter sitting as a backup, waiting for someone to get injured. NFL doesn't work like that. But these offensive teams have to run the ball, and why the Eagles are for real is because they run the football. Yep. They adapt to the game plan, and that's what's making it. So intriguing with the Eagles, yes, they have a mobile quarterback. But they have two running backs that run the ball. They're able to switch the game plan up in half to adapt to the way the momentum of the game is going. The Dallas game, coming out in the third quarter after halftime, Dallas had the momentum. They made some adjustments. Made a push, you know, like in basketball. They made a run. Mm -hmm. And the Eagles didn't panic. They allowed the Cowboys to get on that run. They made some adjustments. And then they did what you're supposed to do in the fourth quarter. You put the women and children to bed, and they came out with the win. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because we've been going so pass, pass, pass. Uh, the league is passing. Is the running back dead? Is the is the running game dead? What is happening with football? Like, do you even need to have a running back anymore? And now this year, it feels like we're all the way back the other way, where we've gone, nope, you need to run the ball. You need to be able to have play action. You need a quarterback who can run it too, but you definitely need running backs. You need to have that presence um, to get the play action game going. And you need to make those like, yeah, because everyone's playing too high. And so it's just, hey, how are you going to keep them honest? Well, you keep them honest. And also, too, when it's back in these cities, Philly is not a known to be a sunshine city in the, in December and January. Mm-hmm. You know, Buffalo is not known to be a sunshine sunshine city in December and January. So oh, they got to figure it out. Now, now Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, they don't care. They're going to throw the ball. Sleet, rain, hurricane, or snow, right? They don't, it doesn't matter. And that's why they're in the quandary they're in right now. You got your head, you got your head coach backing up your quarterback, mm-hmm. addressing all the issues. But the problem is, he's he's an issue too. He's not playing uh, all pro football. I mean, he's playing like his receivers. His receivers are playing like him. Mm-hmm. Middle of the road, not very good. Do you uh, like trade deadlines coming up? Is there one team for you that needs to do something at a, at receiver? And do Claypool and Judy move the needle for you at all? Jerry, Judy? Yeah, those guys seem like they're the available names. Like, they're the ones that are, you know, all the rap reports. Well, here's what I would say. Those are the guys. I would say, why are they available? Yeah, their teams stink. (laughs) Their teams are bad. So you're telling me me the rest of these teams don't have good players? 
mm-hmm. that aren't traded, that aren't that aren't available that can contribute to the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Christian McCaffrey thing is the obvious because they're in transition. Mm-hmm. But do you think Pittsburgh Steelers next year are, are going to be better? My they, point is, they better be. Clay, Claypool, he's a big body jump ball guy, mm-hmm. right? I think he. I think right now he he still is. He's a good player, but his route tree is limited. And when you have a young, I mean, a young quarterback who his playbook is limited, and you run limited uh, limited routes, sometimes it's going to be a limited on how you can impact the game, right? I think that's why George Pickens is showing why he's more involved in this offense. Uh, Deontay Johnson is showing why he's more involved in this offense, even though. You know, he drops the ball sometimes, but he still can run a lot of different routes more than a jump ball than a go. So, Jerry Judy is a guy, I think, his speed gives him the benefit of the doubt. But I think when I watch him play, beyond his speed, what else does he bring to the table? Hmm. And I don't know what that is, but I think this, the offense he's in, if he was a little bit better route runner, I think he can be looked on to contribute more. See, this Again, is why I'm saying that I'm critiquing. I'm critiquing wide receivers too much. No, this he is but this fly, is good, but this right? is good because most people can, think Jerry Judy is an elite fly. route runner. Like that's what I think. If you ask most fans, if is Jerry Judy a great route runner, they would say yes. And I would say where. Yeah, and that's why it's important like, for you to tell stuff like this. Run, just, just because you can run really fast, right? Just like just because you're really tall doesn't make you a great basketball player. Mm-hmm. Because you're really fast doesn't mean that you're going to be an uh, all-pro. Some of the slowest receivers on clock, their game speed is ridiculous. Jerry Rice wasn't two guy, but when that ball was in the air, he looked, re- he looked very fortunate. He ran by somebody. But the difference is Jerry Judy can run by you, but he has to run around the house to slow down. Mm. Jerry Rice can blow by you, but he can stop on a dime and give you 10 pennies. And that's the difference. Right? And I think college is telling guys, hey, we're going to run these trick plays versus really learning how to play the game. That's why the lower-round guys are becoming the Cortland Sutton's where you didn't see him impact the game the way he's impacting the game, but yet you get a high draft pick like Jerry Judy, and then you get a high draft pick like Jalen Waddle, and you'll see Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy will impact the game the same way. Nope, because Jalen Waddle knows how to run the routes. Man, uh, you knew how to run the routes. Like, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, again, one of the best guys to watch run. Uh, I wish we could do this longer. Like, honestly, I hope we can do this again down the line sometime down the season. Um, I can't wait to watch NFL's most interesting jobs season two. Uh, I can't wait till it ends up with, you know, you being a UPS driver and me being right that everyone recognizes you, especially if you're in like the Carolina area, like as if you think that people wouldn't notice you, but okay. That's right. Like, I can't wait. It's going to be great. Uh, Steve Smith. Thanks so much for the time, man. Uh, you were one of the greats and this was really fun. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Uh, there's Steve Smith Sr. Again, NFL's most interesting jobs. Guy working out as he's doing the show. I respect it as someone who talks on the phone and cannot stay still. 
Uh, quick break, and when we come back, another great guest, James Reimer. Uh, somebody everybody here is very familiar with. Uh, late night tonight. Uh, well, late night tomorrow. It's Wednesday right now. We're taping this interview. There's no day, way that he was doing it on a game day. It's James Reimer. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Hey, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a little disappointed you're not starting tomorrow, though. Like I know it's a home game for you guys, but come on, you must love playing Toronto. Yeah, it's uh, no. It's always fun playing your home team. It's always a, it's always a challenge playing. Uh, Playing the Leafs now too, they got a good squad, so it's it's always fun. Uh, always up for a challenge. That's uh, actually probably the one good part about it is you're like, yeah. I, although Leafs aren't really scoring right now, so I don't really know. But your numbers are good to start the season, and maybe it's their breakout game. So you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe not so bad. I'll see you guys when I actually play in <laughs> Toronto. Yeah, there you go. We'll do, we'll do it that way. So, all right, speaking of just, like, Toronto memories, we've got to do, like, a little memory lane stuff because, man, you get to start against Phil, and it's the Iron Man game. He's a teammate of yours nearly your entire time here. You see him breaking in. Did you know what he was going to try and do? Uh, no, not really. Actually, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do, and maybe that's why yeah. I went in. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, obviously, I just know he's uh, – He's got a great shot, and uh, you know he's a great player. So you just try and play him honest, and and hope that uh, you know what you can do is is better than what uh, what he can do. And unfortunately, you know, wasn't the case on that instance. Yeah, that's the I, the reason I asked it as why, or maybe what you knew he was going to do is sometimes just when you've got a shot like that, or you've got that ability, it just it goes in anyway, right? Like I always think about Matt Sundin with his backhand when he'd be on a breakaway and it was like this just worked every time for him like he had the one same <laughs> penalty shot move and you'd be like this is what he's going to do and somehow some way it's just like that's that's the that's the patented move that's the patented finish that's what happens and like okay i'm sure you didn't feel good for him in the moment because you're trying to get a win but did you have a little bit of like feel reflection during that game like they're celebrating him he's obviously a guy that I think you maybe relate to in a, in a little bit of way in terms of neither of you guys seems to like always love it when the spotlight is on you. You'll take it and accept it when it is there. But yeah, just maybe thinking back to being teammates with Phil Kessel and the time that you guys spent together in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, for him to break the the record and ride whatnot, and, and honestly, I, I I didn't even know that uh, it was his uh, 400th goal, and so I I didn't even know that he was at 399. Um, but, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, whenever you've, you've, you know, battled with, with someone and, and been on the same team and, and, and gone out and, and competed together, you know, and gone through a lot and, and whatnot, all that, all that stuff, it's, it's, you, you can, you kind of root for them, you know, no matter what the scenario, but, but, um, you know, especially with Phil, we played a lot of years together. So, you know, you like to see, you know, your friends and, and ex-teammates have success. And so, um, you know, to see him, to see him, uh, you know, last night and, uh, to do what uh, he did. I mean, we won't talk about the goal, but, but just uh, the streak, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, you're, you're happy for him and, and uh, happy that, uh, you know, he's had a, has, he's had a great career. 
It, it's especially there's this thing going on in Toronto right now. I think that people are especially happy for his success, and I think that this gen tends to happen a lot. Like even with somebody like yourself, is that the market can be like really tough on players, right? And especially when things start to go bad, and that once there's like some time and distance, I think a lot of people in the fan base start to chill out and mostly look back on things with just positive memories and really try to almost make amends by being like. We're sorry. Everyone's happy for you. Everybody's rooting for you. I really do think it happens. There's like a weird Toronto guilt. Um, so I mentioned like, yeah, you're not starting tomorrow. It's a little bit of a bummer because, uh, yeah, we'd like to see you play. But, man, you've, you've split the net like your entire career. And this is something like a way that the, the league is going right now. It's pretty well established that you're good at it and that you're liked in that role and that, yeah, you're just I, I think you would be described as a, a guy that's probably pretty easy to get along with. What would you, like, what do you think are the ideal traits of a teammate that shares the net with you? you yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I think what you look for, especially in a goalie partnership per se, because it, it can be a kind of a, a weird dynamic, you know. I mean, we can get all the in, into all the intricacies of it, right? But but I think at the end of the day, you want a guy that... that um, obviously that competes hard, right? Because you, you want to have that internal competition a bit, you know? Um, but I think you want a guy that that wants to win for the team and, and understands that that your teammate, your goalie partner, is is part of the the secret to success, you know? It's, it's you know, especially the way the league is going, um, both you guys are going to play, and so... Um, not that you have to be, you know, necessarily besties. You know, I mean, obviously that's great when when you're friends, but 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 you know, you're you want to know that the other guys, you know, rooting for you when when you're in there, right? And and for me, you know, you you try and you know, you just try and then offer little tidbits here and there, or tendencies from the other team or, or whatnot. You know, you wanna you wanna be when you're not playing. You know, you want to be as supportive as possible for the other guy. You know what I mean? It's it's. I mean, it's always a cliche, right? But, but you want to win. You want to get in the playoffs, and so your main focus is is the front of the jersey. And and when your teammates in there, you know, yeah, you, you need to win. You want to win, and 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 so you hope you you hope he does well, and 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 the team wins. Well, yeah, I I think that in some ways it's actually relatable to certain things in life because like sports is so much about roles and I think that's what makes it so difficult and why like I'm always fascinated about um, guys who have to split a net together is because you're right the team success you want to be able to make the playoffs you want to win games uh, I think that it's a bad like just human trait to root on someone's demise I've always looked at it as you probably just want to outplay the guy not have him go out there and be terrible and I know that sometimes like it can be human nature to to root against someone from time to time for your success but overall I, I don't usually think that that is going to help anybody right like it's more about being able to focus on yourself but it's one of the only spots in like all of sports where it's not like hey this is your defined role this is your defined thing you have to kind of find like toe that line of how am i supporting someone versus taking away energy from my own craft and yeah i just i always wonder like what are those finer points and when do those come up between guys and how much they're actually even like spending time together kind of helping each other out yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent right. Like it's, it's uh it's uh there's a lot of intricacies to it. I mean, I think you are, 
I think, you know, how much time you spend together is, you know, indicative of just how naturally you get along as human beings, you know, away from the rink, right? Like it's some guys you click with great and, and other guys, you know, you don't necessarily click, click with, you know, but you get along in the room, you know? And so um, it's just, it's just finding that, that balance. I mean, you don't force it and you, and you don't, you know, you don't abandon it either. Right. And so I think you just kind of, you go along with it. And, and like I said, when the professional part of it, I mean, I think it's, it's, you're, you're trying to help each other out and, and, and even just if it's as simple as just watching the other guy. And, and then I think it's, it's just being respectful in there too. You know, you don't, uh, you don't take things for granted. You know, there's all things about, you know, the starters net and, and then backup goalies net per se. And so, and that can change from day to day, depending on who's playing. Right. And so I think it's, you know, you're confident in, in, in your ability, but you don't, you don't come to the rink with this uh, ridiculous um, ego and try and, you know, force your way around. You know, you just, you just be a, a decent human being and, and uh, play, as hard as, play as hard as you can. Is it harder in a place like Toronto where there's a lot of people who talk about it all the time? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, any time that, you know, things get brought up, it's, it's just harder. You know, I think that, that you know when you <laughs> don't play in a, in a big hockey market you can actually be truthful about it um but um you know i'm sure everyone there would say that it's not the case right but but um but yeah when things are constantly being brought up it it, it just makes it more difficult it doesn't make it impossible um it just makes it more that uh, you want to make sure you have a good relationship so that um you know when it's brought up it's it's not an issue yeah. Um, did you find that like a lot of times when you were here, like if they like a lot of guys wanted to really make sure about what they had to say? Because I know like, you know, there's PR teams and they try to make sure that you've got a, a message drilled down. But like, is there a genuine worry? Like, hey, if I say a certain thing, like the other goalie might see something or a teammate might see something and then you're going to have to have a talk about it later. Is it more like that or is it more just like the outside messaging can just seep into your subconscious and, and kind of rattle you a bit? Yeah, I'd say it's more about just the, the subconscious. I mean, yeah, there are things that you have to make sure you you say or, or don't say. Um, but for the most part, um, that's not too much of an issue because if there is something, you know, that, that, that comes up, you know, you can usually address it and, and say, you know, it's, it's you know, you can say, hey, I didn't mean to say that or, 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 or I did or that came all wrong or whatever, right? And, and you can get through it, right? I'd say it's just more the... The, the subconscious, you know, um, other people talking about it, right? Yeah. Um, well, like, you are a free agent after this season. Like, I know you're very happy with the Sharks, and this is not a thing, but would you want to play in a Canadian market again? Like, would you want to play in Toronto if, if the right deal did come along for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for, for myself, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy here in, in, in San Jose, very happy, and, and um, we've really... My family and whatnot, right, included, obviously. But we've really enjoyed our time here and, and um, you know, a good group of guys in the room. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I am – my contract does expire this year and and, and that's just the way the business goes and, and whatnot. Who knows what's going to transpire next year or whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I think there is – there's – you know, I, I think I've said it over the years. There's, there's pros and cons to – 
to small markets and, and big markets. And so, um, but obviously, um, you know, I, I wouldn't shy away from, from a big market. I think the, the buzz and, and uh, the atmosphere that's, that's constantly around is, is, is fun and, and something you can, you can feed off of. And so, um, you know, a big market wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, um, scare me or, or play against it. I don't, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, because I, I do think that for some guys, especially, you know, you've played in a couple markets right now, like Florida and Carolina and now San Jose. Well, first of all, weather, you're probably like, yeah, no, nah, can't, I'm good. Now that I think it stops, you're probably like, yeah, it's fine. I'll just do this summers uh, back up uh, in Canada. That's okay. The rest of it, I'm down here. But yeah, that some guys, like I heard Gary Trotz, on, or sorry, uh, Barry Trotz on a podcast yesterday, and he was talking about how, yeah, that there really is this whole thing about if you do coach an original six franchise and he was more particularly talking about um, being up north in Canada and how it's just harder to live your life and you know I, I don't I've lived in Toronto a long time and I've obviously seen a lot of guys out from just about every single team and it doesn't always seem from the outside like that it's harder in that or not that it's not harder because yeah there is like a I guess maybe you have to be a little bit more isolated you can't just be kind of just ingratiated into the public as much but did you did you find that like really difficult do you think that is the case for a lot of guys like the the going out in public thing um yeah no I don't know if it's it's so much of an of a too much of an issue I mean I think what's What's great, and, and I'll talk about Toronto specifically because that's obviously the only big market I've been a part of. But um, you know, there was great people in Toronto, and 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 um, like the fan base, and, and specifically the fan base that that is in the greater Toronto area or or whatnot. Right, it's kind of more than where I lived. I mean, people were always super respectful and super supportive, and, and just just good people. And so um, there's no issues with with that that part of it you know I, I think which maybe can get difficult or especially maybe if guys are, are later on in years and, and they have families and stuff is is um you know just stuff to do with with the kids or or you know with um you know always being on display or stuff like that you know i think that could maybe be more trying than when you're you know 20 or 25 and and uh you know your your personal life isn't too isn't too complicated or whatnot, right? And you're just uh, you're just having fun playing hockey. Yeah, um, it's weird though too because now there's actually quite a few older players that have been coming to Toronto who are from here, like Wayne Simmons and Mark Giordano and John Tavares decided to come back here. And yeah, I would imagine mm-hmm. that that's true. It's, it's not really something that you think about too much. Like, you know, the, the only thing that really came to mind for me was, and this is like going back quite a ways, was I remember some newspaper at one point took Brian McCabe's name and change his name like for a, a headline and I remember like him saying that his kids got called that in school and I will say that you know even as like a media member you do really try with your criticisms or at least I do where you really try not to make things at all personal because I, I think that that is the stuff that can get ugly and I think that um, that's probably even one of the harder things about being a fan is trying to make sure that you don't um, have things uh, that end up leading back to a player that you're like, oh, okay, this is actually something where you end up crossing a line. And I think that, yeah, with volume in a place like Toronto, it's definitely more likely that something can end up seeping through. So you, um, your career right now. Uh, wait, before I ask you about your actual play, I was 
I noticed, like, you're wearing 47, and you wore 34 here, and I know you've worn 30, 31, 35, and I read a quote from you once that said, as long as there's a jersey for me, that's all I care about. But how how do you land on 47? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, honestly, it was just so I was obviously 34 um, from my career up until I went to Carolina, and then Mrazek was 34. And so, um, and obviously he was the incumbent starter and then the guy there, right? So, so um, I was obviously going to change my number. And um, it was as simple as I played in South Carolina um, in the East Coast, my first year pro. And I kind of got traded or loaned there, however it works, in the East Coast. And, and um, when I showed up in South Carolina, I was <laughs> number 47, which I, you know, I kind of thought was, was kind of funny or kind of weird because not really a goalie number. No. And uh, but I was like, oh, I don't care. Like, and that <laughs> doesn't really bother me, right? And so I uh, I went with it and ended up winning. We ended up winning the Kelly Cup that year. And so uh, I thought, hey, I'm going back to the Carolinas, and I needed okay. to change my number. So I was like, oh, let's just let's go with 47. No, it's just that every time I've seen you in it, I don't think it's you in net. Like, cause I'm like, 47 is such a weird number. It's got to be some guy that just got called up, and no, it's you. <laughs> like, all right, this is actually him. He chose this number. Like, he had the equity to choose, and he went 47. Well, that's a good story. Yeah, I just couldn't find that story anywhere. Um, okay, so you're off to a hot start again. Really good numbers. Um, you played the most games of your career last year in a regular season, and I wonder if there's just something that you do differently now that has let you just kind of maintain this into you know your mid 30s. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, so many good people in my life that, that um, help me, you know, be as, as good as I can be. Um, and so, you know, um, obviously starts with just, you know, my strength guy in the summer. I mean, we do a ton of work together um, and always trying to find ways to improve and, and with, from body mechanics and whatever. And, and um but mid point in my career, uh, you know, I have a, met a great goalie coach in, in, uh, in where I spent my summers too, and, and he's really helped, you know, solidify my game and, and calm it down too. And, and so, um, and every year, it's just you, you try and find an edge, you try and get better. I mean, it's it's that that beautiful balance of of having confidence in your game and 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 not changing too many things but at the same time not getting stale and making sure that you're always you're always improving and and you know whether it's one or two things that you want to improve on you know you're always you're always trying to get better and 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 watch the guys that have a lot of success and and try and pull things and so um yeah i mean just 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 trying to learn and and learn the game and and understand it trying to apply it to your game as, as as much as possible and then um, I mean, with the heavier workload, it's it's just um, just managing, you know, your your energy and and making sure you're not you're not putting too much uh, stress on your body, you know, in between games. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up, um, just because like the improving during an off season. Because I, I was having a, a conversation with a guy named Kevin Woodley um, about a year ago, and. Actually, it was in reference to one of the Leafs goalies right now, Matt Murray, and just about how you need how much he needed to change his game from who he was in 2016 when they were winning cups to 
who he is now. And it just sort of dawned on me that like when we talk about people or players improving, right? It's always a forward or a defenseman. Like someone's got to improve their skating or they've got to improve their shot, right? It's the things that we can see easily. And no one ever really talks about it with goalies. Like it's never a point of conversation from a media member is like how a goaltender improved, right? Because I think that the intricacies of the position are so much harder for us. Like for us, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's why one of my favorite things is asking my friends why they think a certain goal was a bad goal is because it's just it's hilarious to hear sometimes the different answers but has there been one thing in particular like through your career even like the last couple of years that you've really felt like man I've gotten way better at this like this is the part of my game that I'm proud has grown here um yeah I mean I, I think um yeah I mean I think there's there's a, a few things I feel like sometimes the changes are, are minimal that have big rewards and, and some of the times the changes are like foundational too. Right. And so I feel like, um, over the years, there's been every couple of years, there's a, there's a foundational sounds really big, but, but there's kind of been a find out foundational change that really, really impacts my game. And then every year from there, you make little tweaks, little tweaks, little tweaks. And then as the game changes and, and as you learn the game better, then all of a sudden there's another switch you make. And so, um, you know, I apologize. I don't know if I'll get into the, 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 all the, the technical side part of it. No, that's game. what I want. That's what I want. I think that's what people but, want because but, we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, there, there's, there's definitely been a few tweaks and, and, uh, and some of them big and, and that have, I felt it really, really, um, you know, help me, uh, help me, uh, stop the old biscuit. Do you, do you get some of these things in season? Because, or is this just a purely off-season thing? Um, yes, yes, and no. So it's mostly off-season, um, but and a, and a big part too is is, is preseason. I think because that's that's like your your testing ground, you know. Like, mm-hmm. so I've worked on this. You know, am I going to stick with it? You know, do I have a do I have success with it in in a game or, or, or you know in a really competitive practice or, or stuff like that? So training camp is is a big one where I think you really make the decision whether or not you're going to, you're going to go with this or make a switch. And, and sometimes, you know, you don't get to work with your team goalie coach, right. And until you get to, until you get to camp or you get to your city a couple of weeks before. So, um, you know, sometimes it's right in the summer, you know, the season's over and you're like, bam, I want to improve on this. Like this has to change for next year. And you work on it all year, and sometimes it's two weeks before camp, and, and your goalie coach goes like, "Hey, let's try this," and you try it, and, and voila, it works great. You know, I was just gonna say, like, has it ever had a, a conflict? Like, have you ever had one where you were like, "I'm really confident in this," and then a different goalie coach has told you something separate, and like, yeah, you bring it to that camp, and you're like, "Oh, this is the team guy versus my guy." Like, how you balance that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's a little friction with that, or sometimes there's there's different. There's different concepts because I mean, there's I mean, you look at look at the NHL. There's there's 64 different ways to to stop pucks, right? And so, um, you know, it's 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 always a a moving art or moving science or whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, but um, so sometimes there's like competing views. Um, but again, usually as the goalie, you know, it's your game. You make the decision um, of what you want to do. But there's also times where, you know, I, I can think of one time in my career where, you know, me and the goalie coach decided, you know, like this is what we should do. 
and uh, we got like two, three games into the season, and, and I, <laughs> I got burned a few times trying to do it, and we were like, all right, scrap that. That's, uh, <laughs> good idea, but uh, yeah. it doesn't work for me. So. I like that though. The idea is like, hey, uh, thanks, goalie coach. Like, it's just my career out here. Let's not make my money. All right, but yeah, all right. I'm glad you got to experiment, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now that you tried that. All right, that's gone. Uh, James, this is really fun, man. I guess uh, let's close on how we started, which is uh, back to Phil. Uh, do you do the Phil impression? Do you do the Phil voice? I feel like everybody who's been his former teammate does the voice. Uh, you know what? I do enjoy the Phil voice. I don't know if I can do it on air, though. But, uh, no, I, <laughs> I can't mean, do it. I, 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 man, I love that guy, man. He was, uh, he was, it was fun playing with him, and, and uh, I'm happy for him. I heard uh, Van Riemsdyk does the best one anyways. I still haven't been able to coax it out of him. Uh, hey, dude, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for the time. Uh, I really appreciate it, and best of luck the rest of the season, James. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me on. Take fun chat. Home. Fun chat with James. Good guy. Just a good guy. Hey, you know what I really loved about that is him saying what – I guess a lot of us know, which is that when guys are in the market, they can't really talk about it. When guys leave and they get a little bit older, James said it about how the market can react to you. I don't know why guys aren't more honest with that sometimes. I, I, I realize that there is a bit of a warrior culture with sports where you don't want to admit to anything being able to get to you because if you're in it, then you feel like you're like inviting more criticism or you're inviting the potential for someone to try to get you off your game or whatever. To me, ah, there's always going to be social media noise. You're always going to have your haters who just want to hate no matter what, right? You're always going to have people who try to bring you down, try to bring negativity, do all that. And especially if you're in the public eye and for a hockey player, you know, in this city, you got to imagine that it can be immense at times. But to me, the idea of, if it's not overreaching, because sometimes that happens and I think people are turned off by that, right? We all know Happens with media members, happens with athletes, happens with any type of public figure where they overreach about how something affects them negatively, almost like they're trying to garner sympathy for failures or for even just clout. Because there is clout now in trying to look for sympathy. And a lot of people do try to exploit that, right? We all know. You've all seen them. You've all rolled your eyes at posts like that. You go, okay, why are you sharing this? Okay. But saying things out loud, like I've been affected by the way a story got out of hand, or I know a teammate that felt as though it was harder for their kids to go to school for a certain day. I think that that kind of stuff makes most rational thinking people chill out for a second. And, and I just, I don't think that there's a real drawback to being human and to being honest to a degree. You don't have to let everybody into every little nook and cranny of your life, right? But I, I really respect James for that honest interview. Like that, that I do think is real strength in a guy who's comfortable in his own shoes. He knows himself. He knows his career. He knows where it's going. And like he even mentioned, he's not afraid if, he, if it was to come back to Toronto. He's not afraid of a Canadian market. He just understands the challenges of it. And being realistic about that, I think is probably healthy. Anyways... Um, like I said, you're never going to convince the trolls. That's just always going to exist. But I think speaking to the vast majority of people who are, I'd like to believe, more level-headed. Maybe it doesn't always show up sometimes on social media because it's like a place where you just like, you can't be level-headed. 
where you just want to pour some venom out there or over, or like I said, toxic positivity. It's always one of the two negative or toxic positivity. And usually people don't realize like which side that they're on or how much that it actually is coming through. But uh, yeah, James Reimer, awesome dude. We'll have him on anytime and will be interesting because like the guy does have a track record as a legit backup in the league. And the guy probably will be the sharks keep going the way that the sharks are expected to go a trade target at some point. And you got to wonder if the Leafs who can't get Matt Murray, right. Or if they can't get Matt Murray, right. Rather, whether or not he'd be a target, a guy with market familiarity, a guy who's a vet, a guy who has been really, really good the last couple of years. Again, look at his numbers and consider that he's playing on a trash Sharks team. Sorry, Sharks. Sorry, I said trash. Now you're going to beat the Leafs tonight. And I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to have a 1030 doing Leafs talk. So make sure you subscribe to that because we're doing podcasts only tonight. All right. No YouTube. It's too late. I'm not doing my hair for you. You guys watching 1030 at night. You Cretans go to bed. Listen to podcasts in the morning. Anyways, that's tonight at 1030. And then we'll get born back in the mix. We'll be doing some more shows. I think he's on with me Saturday, which is a sports that now show. And then Sunday as well, which will be back on YouTube for those of you that celebrate. Leafs talk, subscribe, review this podcast too. quick break. Come back with the fellas, catch up on what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, fellas, what did we miss? Well, JD, uh, Russell Wilson continues to be one of the most memeable quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, he's a dark. Um, obviously the Broncos heading to London to Never play liked. their London game. Yeah. And, uh, he uh, dropped a little bit of knowledge on plane etiquette. For me, I was on the plane the first two hours. I was, uh, uh, first two hours, probably eight, was it, eight hours flight here? That's the first two hours I was watching the film, getting, watching all the cut-ups and everything else. And then for the next four hours, I was doing treatment on the plane. I was walking up and down the aisles. Everybody was knocked out. I was doing high knees and working on, working on my legs and everything else, you know, make sure I'm ready to rock. Uh, so that was good. And then the last two hours of... The last hour of that. I, oh, I stop talking, Russell. God, how do you stand there and listen to all this? Like, it's painful. Again, again, again. There's just, he's so phony. All of this is just so phony. It's annoying. Okay, so you took an eight-hour flight. I'm sure parts of this are true, like, but it all just feels like such an act with this guy. Like, I was doing treatment for four hours on the plane, moving around. Okay, great. Everyone was knocked out. Everyone's asleep. All right, man, you're the one who just keeps doing it all. Awesome. Do you know how annoyed Jerry Judy is in trade rumors? Because Russell Wilson stinks. So he's got to move because they got to trade guys away because they know the season is done. They're going to London. They're on an eight-hour flight. And you're seeing Russell Wilson do his like, ha, ha. Up and down the aisles, doing his knee highs. Dude, shut up. Go sit down in your seat. God. Anyway, it's just it's just too much with this guy. And I will say this, though. I wish that pacing on the plane was uh, not... Like, I just... It would be nice if you could move around on a plane a little bit more. Longer planes. Mm-hmm. Like, because when you're on there for, like, four or five hours, it does start to get, like great. I only get to go up to go to the bathroom. And if you move anywhere else through the plane, people look at you like, what are you doing? Like, are you here to attack this plane? <laughs> you know, like, you, like that's, I guess the only real reason to have 
like a real positive reason to have a baby on a flight is that you can walk your baby and kind of soothe it and move around on the plane mm-hmm. and no one will look at you weird. Yeah. But anybody else, you look like a full-blown psycho. You walk <laughs> back, you walk up and down the aisles on a plane more than once, twice, no baby in hand, and not as flight attendant. <laughs> like, it's like you a, might, you might get the, the air marshal might get involved. Maybe <laughs> you might like, know who the air marshal is. Like a slow pace though, as you like shake your leg, you know, that's a clear in my mind. That's a clear, I'm getting the blood flowing. I have to keep my circulation Yeah, but you can't going, do yeah. that for more than a, yeah. like one rotation. You get one run of that. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. better make it a really good run. Yeah. yeah. And you, and that's the thing. You can't have everybody on the plane doing it. <laughs> no space. No, it can't be laps. Can't be team laps on the plane. Anyway, tough one. I w- wonder else? who the the first wide receiver is going to score a touchdown on the um on the Bron- against the Broncos and then do high knees in the end zone. Who they play again this weekend? Jacksonville. Yeah. So Zay Jones high knee touchdown celebration. You feeling it? I actually do kind of like that. That's so a good that'd mock. That'd be hilarious. That'd be hilarious. That is a good mock. Anyway, Arizona State Coyote saga is getting funnier and funnier. Yesterday, the isn't even funny anymore. The the, the, the video released yeah. of their. They're temporary. It is temporary, I will say. They're only using it for four home games. Joe, you sound they're, like you work there. It is It is temporary, everyone. It's, that's it's temporary. It's temporary. Yeah. But um, the, their new visiting dressing room setup, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a big room with Better, just this is black curtains, and it's just like empty space. Yeah. And they're using it for four home games in the NHL in a, an arena, the capacity yeah. of 5,000. Yeah. And ironically, the team they're playing, Winnipeg, had the yeah. smallest arena last year. And then Arizona said, well, hold my beer. So it's a disgrace. But it also is a reminder of this is kind of, hey, NHL, you're not too big for your britches. You know, this is who you are. You are the team that has this, okay? You are a team that has the Florida teams that also don't really sell it. Like, you know, it's not all the Leafs games, right? (laughs) It's not all Habs games. There's a lot of teams, people don't want to go to the games. Go open up ESPN later today with an American VPN and see if you can find hockey <laughs> on any of the main pages. Like, there is a part of me that goes, this should be just a bit of a humbling experience for everyone. It's not that Bush League. Um, it's pretty bad, though. It's pretty damn bad that a professional sports league that the NHL, who does fight for credibility sometimes south of the border, has a look like this. And I, I this does remind me a little bit of the Blue Jays situation in Buffalo where guys go down there and say, hey, it actually is important for us to have pro facilities. It is important for us to have the same equipment as other teams. And so if you're a visitor for one night, I don't know if it's that bad. I think if you're a visitor that plays in a division, you have to play multiple of those games. You'd probably be pretty annoyed. It's not comfortable. Like these guys are creatures of routine. They are used to being um, held to nice accommodations. It's just ugly. I don't know who leaked that. Who's leaking these things? That's if I'm Arizona, that's actually because the Draymond one was stupid when everyone went, who leaked this video? It was like, meh, a guy got assaulted. That should probably be the number one. <laughs> the number one thing the Warriors are worried about is how Jordan Poole's doing, not who leaked the video. But this is actually one where I thought, whoever put this out there, you knew what you are doing. And it's not even, it's at the beginning of the setup. <laughs> you know, like they're still working on it. Let me yeah. at least see the finished product. But yeah, it looks really bad. It looks really, really bad. And it's hard to envision how they could have done less. Let's put it, that's yeah. how you can describe it. Is well, there's it nothing looks there like to they, That's with. what I mean. It looks like they did the <laughs> least amount they could possibly do. 
They just put up a couple of curtains and said, screw it. It's three years there, right? Yeah. And then the last the last one is a team option if they can come to an agreement. No, listen, between just the two. move that team. That's exactly. That's what one of the Twitter replies had was just a picture of the stadium in Quebec City. Ready to go. <sighs> I don't well, even know this Quebec also City forces... thing. Just move it to a city where there's people, you know? Like, <laughs> Quebec City, you had your shot. No one's... Anyway... Whatever, fine. Quebec City is better than that, but just give the team to Kansas City. Hmm. Like, go somewhere where there's a population. I don't know. Just to me, this is, yeah, fine, more Canadian teams, more North American teams, but it is tough. There's a reason why those teams left those markets, right? And it is tough if you're the Winnipeg Jets where you go, like you said, Joe, Mm -hmm. they're the smallest arena. 15,000. And they're not always selling it out. And... Like the base, if you've got a rich ass owner who's not worried about taking some losses and the revenue sharing or whatever, it's okay. But I think all the other owners do. But I just don't know how tenable this is. This is just it's such an embarrassment. And people go, oh, it's called Mullet Arena. Okay, who cares? Next, move it, move it, move it, move it, move it, move it anywhere. For God's sakes, move it. And this also forces Arizona to play 14 straight road games. I don't know why they can't just do like what happened crazy. with New Orleans. The the at the time. New Orleans Hornets, mm-hmm. where during Katrina, they got moved and they went to Oklahoma City. And it's horrible because it ended up, you know, causing the stealing of my Sonics because Oklahoma City, they found out was a viable basketball market. Um, they wanted NBA basketball, but and realistically, they, they they wouldn't have gone back to New Orleans if it wasn't for Katrina. And they didn't look like they were just like abandoning a place because New Orleans doesn't care about basketball. Nobody watches basketball games there. Sucks. Um Nobody wants to play at the Smoothie King Center, okay? And we lost the Sonics because of that. Sucks. A a real basketball market. Just do that with the Coyotes. That's what should have been done with this whole Mullet Arena thing. As soon as they said, hey, here's our pitch, it's 5,000. And I've heard some people go, hey, it's not as bad as the situation before it. And you go, well, that just tells you. (laughs) Take the show on the road, and if Arizona really wants the hockey back, then in a year, they'll come up with some kind of a better plan. The only problem I have is nobody in Arizona should have to pay public money for that arena. You mm-hmm. know, like the idea that public funds would go into a, an Arizona Coyotes hockey team that nobody wants there anyway. Like, have you guys ever met anybody from Arizona? Austin Matthews. Yeah, I met Austin Matthews at the 2016 I'm NHL sure he remembers draft. you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he probably was very impactful. He just nodded at me once. If you meet people from Arizona, if you ever get the chance, ask them who Austin Matthews is. Do you know what they will say to you? I don't know who that is. <laughs> really? You <laughs> they, think? Well, they may only know him because of the Leafs. They may only know him because he's here. And he's no, the Leafs if big. you live here and you're from Arizona, then you know. Thank you. Well, yeah. I'm saying if you are from Arizona and you are traveling around and you yeah. r- bump into someone and you go, where are you from, Arizona? Do you know who Austin Matthews is? They will say no. No shot. Nope. They will very likely say no. You know how many people in, in Arizona who Austin Matthews are? The 5,000 people that might go to those games <laughs> just pre-called through a year. Do you might. think they would have known him if Team USA went to the Olympics? Yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. That's why it sucks that we don't have Olympics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why it sucks that they're going to try to do World Cup of Hockey or whatever because it's like nobody is going to care the same way like we cared about Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, dude, if they win gold medal and they go, this is our best player, then you know who it is. Do you know who's on Canada's bobsled team right now? No, yeah. but you might when come Olympic time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you know any of the sports that are at the Olympics until we win? Like, no. <laughs> like, yeah, if Team USA had won the gold Were you medal. aware of trampolinists before Rosie McLennan 
<laughs> like, you know, like, where yeah, you out no, there going, no. I think this is our year in trampoline. And then Rosie <laughs> wins gold, and everybody knows who she is in the entire country. She's, you know, weedy boxes. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. What's next? Well, uh, Matthew Perry, star yeah. of Friends, yeah. recently admitted to the press, the New York Post, mm-hmm. that he was in love with Jennifer Aniston before and during Friends. Bro, that's the funniest story ever. Like, okay, newsflash, sun is hot. Like, who who wasn't in love with Jennifer Aniston? Honestly, it would have been a bigger story if he went the other way. If he went, hey, I was on the set of Friends, Jennifer Aniston, not as hot as you think. <laughs> like, that's the only... Man, Jennifer Aniston, if... Especially, like, you're my age, you're Boffo's age. I don't know, Boffo, has any... like. Jen Aniston, Angelina Jolie, that's the, the, that's the pantheon of our age group peak hotness, right? Yeah. I, I mean, Who else? Uh, maybe Scarlett Johansson? Nah, not for is me. That too, is that too late? Yeah, I, I just think ScarJo is uh, for a certain type. I think that you tell, you tell the people what you're into, if you know what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a more refined choice. I'm just saying that... Jennifer Aniston is like she she was. She was the it girl for a very very long time and she just had a long reign of being in- incredibly good looking. She also dated like a lot of very very famous dudes. And so yeah, could you imagine being Matthew Perry and you're just like in love with her and she's dating everybody else and oof, that's tough. That's tough. Hey, you know what? Work un- unrequited workplace love for Matthew Perry. This this is tough. That's that's how you end up spending nine million or whatever he said he did on rehab. Just <laughs> because you're so in love with Jennifer Aniston, you got to see her every day, and she doesn't want you. Um, tough one. Well, Perry's feelings, he said. For, mm-hmm. Perry's feelings for Aniston slowly went away due to her quote deafening lack of interest. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Oof. Yeah. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Deafening lack of deafening interest. Deafening lack is... of interest. Yeah, I got to move on. That's too dark. What's Dude, next? I, I can't that, even. Yeah, that hurts. Eating or sleeping for two weeks. Deafening lack of interest is, yeah, it's too much. Give me something positive to go out on. Uh, it's kind of, I was trying to think of a creative way to go from that to this, but I can't. Uh, Jalen Hurts is an Astros fan, even though they're playing the team that he, the city that he plays for. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, obviously he's from Houston, right? Yeah. He's yeah. a Texans fan growing up. Yeah. His godfather worked for the team. I think that's fine. I think that's fine. What I would say, though, is... You can only do that, like, to his degree when the team is good. Like, yeah. if the Eagles were trash this year and Jalen Hurts was, like, if Jalen Hurts was, like, 3-3 three and three and there were questions about his job security, here's what I <laughs> promise you. He wouldn't be at no. a podium in all his Astros gear no. doing the peace signs like Pete in all of his photos. Like, <laughs> peace and love he, sports. He would be probably pretty quiet about it. Like, this is a yeah. thing that you can do when you're the quarterback of a winning football team is you can be, like... Yeah, that's right. Go Astros publicly, loudly, and people will still go, yeah, we like the Eagles more. They matter more. Yeah. Anyway, so he's fine. It'll be all right. Uh, we got to run. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Speaking of World Series, speaking of Astros, got Dexter Fowler tomorrow for a World Series preview. Going to get way more into uh, the weeds in baseball. Also talk to him a little bit about uh, him almost becoming a Blue Jay and what it's like interacting with this front office and what he thinks about Springer, who uh, used to live in his house. So that's tomorrow. So subscribe, review, leave five stars, share it, do all those things. Catch you tomorrow.